0: This episode is brought to you by Yolele, the revolutionary African foods company. Learn more at yolele.com.
1: Welcome to Pizza Quest. I'm Peter Reinhardt, a man on a never ending search for the perfect pizza. This show is the audio version of the Pizza Talk YouTube series. Where I engage in interesting conversations with some of the country's greatest pizza makers and other artisans. Thanks for joining me on this quest. Welcome back to Pizza Talk, and we have a very special episode today. Uh, we're coming. I'm in North Carolina, where I always am in Charlotte, but we're in Chicago. Who's, who's joining us from Pauly G's Logan Square. Uh, Derek is uh, a rising star in the pizza world uh, on the U.S. pizza team, we're gonna talk about that today. We're gonna to talk about uh, uh, what Pauly G's and Derek have in common and how they get together. So Derek, welcome and, and uh, thanks for joining us.
2: Hey, thanks for having me. I don't know about rising star, but that's that's quite a compliment, I'll take it.
1: You are, you are, you're, you're what did it say, rising with a, uh, what is it, in, the, in Billboard you know, rising with a bullet or something like that. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> although I hate to use that word these days. <laughs> anyway, uh, uh, let's take a few minutes before we start making some pizzas, which I can't wait to dive into because you're going to show us today your uh, your championship, your U.S. championship pizza, which is a, a Detroit-style square pizza, right, that you kind of created and, and, uh, and have been riding into uh, international competitions with. Um, but before we get to that, Tell us a little bit of the backstory of how you and Paulie G got together and how Paulie G's in Chicago came to be.
2: Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, I fell in love with pizza a long time ago, like everyone does as a kid, right? Probably when I was five or six, just glorifying this awesome, awesome food that community gets to share. For me, the biggest memory for pizza always was um, being able, there was a program called Book It with Pizza Hut. And you know, that program kind of changed my life. Like my parents were immigrants from another country. We came, we rarely went out to eat because we were always saving money. Um, but at school, if I read enough books and answered enough quizzes properly about these books, I would get these tickets that would earn us a free personal pan pizza at Pizza Hut. So, you know, I'd save up like six or seven of these things and then be able to take the whole family out to eat. And that was my first time really getting to treat my family out. Um, and that was I that was probably about... 10 or 11 at the time so pizza had a significant impact um, fast forward all the way into post college after I was working uh, there was a night that my wife was moving out of her space starting her own business and you know I was helping her move all her stuff into her new office and she uh, we neither of us wanted to cook dinner that night so we went out to a place locally in the suburbs near our house and had youapolitan know, pizza made from scratch in front of us at you know what they what they call a pizza bar now uh-huh. where you can see them pull the dough out stretch it hand stretch it top it put it in the wood fired oven, and within five minutes this like beautiful blistering crust that's crispy but light on the inside um came out and it just kind of blew my mind how smooth and how quick this process was so i yeah, started going I down that's this a
1: typical pizza hut pizza there
2: no 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 um I went down this rabbit hole of just starting to learn about pizza as much as I could. So, you know, watching YouTube videos of Tony Gimangiani, uh Roberto, um, going down the, the um, what's the website, pizzamakingforum.com right, and just right. learning as much as I could. Um, and then at some point I started trying to make my own pizza. And so on the weekends, a couple of high school buddies of mine got together and we started making pizza because we wanted to turn it into a business. We wanted to get better at making pizza, but we wanted to turn it into some type of small business. And so we built a wood-fired oven on the back of a trailer and started taking it to uh, local farmers markets on the weekends. So every Wednesday was a prep night. You know, we would come home from work, get together at a kitchen, and just prep everything out. Get you know a hundred dough balls ready, chop the cheese up, and then every Saturday would be farmers market. And then we would do some private events between there. So after a year of this, you know, I decided. This is the highlight of my week. This is what I love to do, making yeah. pizzas. But even more importantly, you know, having these guests come back week after week, buying more pizza. Some guests were buying seven pizzas and freezing them because they love them so much. Um, so they could eat one every day for the whole week. Uh, and so I decided that this is something I want to pursue. So the goal at that point was to just open up like a small little shop, maybe like 20, 30 seats, uh, single wood-fired oven, and just hopefully grow little by little. Uh, but during that time, I also reached out to three mentors, uh, folks that were not that made a life change. So, you know, I wanted someone that kind of reflected me. So someone that yeah. did not start in the restaurant business, um, and made a life change part way through and someone that wasn't a diehard Italian, nothing against Italians, but you know, there's, I've met a few Italians that firmly believe that unless you're Italian, you can't make good pizza and I having a mentor like that, I think would just be too difficult to work with. Um, and so those were the two main criteria. And then one of those three mentors I reached out to was Paulie. Um, Paulie spent a lot of time kind of emailing, talking to me. I visited him in New York. He came to visit me in Chicago. And eventually, we decided, you know, let's let's work together. Let's have this partnership slash mentorship. And so I opened well, it's up a,
1: a great, Juice. great choice because he's talking about a guy who made a career change, and it wasn't too early in life like you. Uh, but what <laughs> were you doing before? What what track were you on before you realized your passion was in pizza? So I'm a black sheep of the family.
2: I uh, I'm a med school dropout after two years, and then I got my master's in healthcare administration. And I was working in a state hospital for about five years before I switched over to healthcare consulting for academic medical centers. Um, And that focus, that area, was focused all on cost efficiency and quality, uh, different operational standards, uh, all the new technology coming into medicine, and whether it had a significant impact to quality or not. Um, And so I worked in consulting probably for about three, four years before I made the change completely over to pizza. During that time when I was consulting, you know, we like to refer to it as hybrid entrepreneurism, right? So every day was, you know, I'm doing my nine to five, more than that. And then every Wednesday and Saturday, I'm doing my passion project and trying to right. it into business.
1: You know, it's, it's funny because we hear similar stories from a lot of people. Certainly people that have entered the pizza world have, uh, you know, sort of the unexpected realization of how much, how much they love Pizza and what it can mean for them, and and uh, imagine you know going to take changing tracks whether it's a lawyer or an IT guy or a or a medical guy you know it's uh, it's quite a step it's a brave step I think to take because number one you're dealing with the family pressure right as you said you're suddenly like what do you mean you're giving up being a doctor or you know whatever and um, and and so you got pressure now because you got to make this work as well, and and, and also continue, retain that love and passion for it. Because once it becomes a business, it's it's not just a hobby and a fun thing.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, it's the pressure is, it's, people don't understand it, I think, until they sign the dotted line, right? I mean, it's one thing to help make money so you can support yourself and, you know, potentially your investors. Um, it's another thing to have 25 people that work for you, that depend on you for their, you know, day-to-day paycheck and making sure that they can afford rent and they can afford to eat. Um, and so those that's, like you said, it's the pressure of it all. It's crazy.
1: So Derek, uh, uh, how did, how did you become Pauly cheese? Did you open a restaurant first before partnering with Pauly? And then when did the Pauly uh, moniker come on?
2: No. So I had, I built a small business that was just the the farmer's markets and private catering. And like I said, we did that for about a year. And then after that I had wanted to build out the restaurant. And so you know, but like I said, between then and during that time, I got to meet Paulie. And Polly eventually had proposed that he wanted to work with me and open up a spot in Chicago. Um, and so starting at that point, I kind of started looking for places and looking for venues that we could open up. That whole process took us about two and a half years before I found a spot that I signed on and got the keys for. Wow. Um, and so during that time, I actually, you know, about a year in, I left my corporate job mostly because, you know, i I'd, I'd been talking about it with my boss at the time, and she was very kind. She allowed me to stay on for a while, but at some point during one of our one-on-ones, she was just like, so when are you actually going to leave? Because, you know, they're always planning for how to replace, how to keep moving. And I, yeah, I can't blame her. I've been talking about it for a while. Yeah, yeah. So I, I did the right thing, and I left the company, um, especially when I, I thought I was going to sign at that point. But that that deal, like many, did not work out, and it fell through. So then I I was probably without a job for a year and a half. During that time, I picked up some tutoring jobs, teaching kids, high school kids, how to like do better on SAT and ACTs. Um, but also, I started working in a pizzeria nearby to better understand just like the role of everything. I had done, I'd probably done about three weeks at Paulie's working through the different positions. So, you know, I hosted, I served, I bussed, I washed dishes. I did everything because I had never been in the industry before. So I wanted to learn every position
1: as much as possible. Yeah. So you went, you actually moved to New York for a while then. Huh?
2: Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was not a long period of time, but I was out there, I was airbnb it and just, you know, walking over and learning everything I could, adapting everything I could. Um, and then at that point, you know, I, like I said, while I was looking for a job, I found another job in, uh, in nearby at a pizzeria in a similar fashion. So a full service sit down pizzeria, but I understand just kind of life on the line, working in the kitchen, things like that. Um, and then, you know, by that point already, Paulie and I had solidified our relationship, and it was just a matter of finding the right spot
1: and moving forward with it. When you were spent that time in, in Brooklyn with Paulie, did you, do you feel like you added repertoire skills that you didn't have before you went there? Did you pick up some new ideas and methods and techniques that you were able to
2: apply? Absolutely. I mean, I think the most beneficial is working in, in the day kitchen staff and having all the prep ready and things like that. I had never worked... Um, you know, we made like a hundred doughs for an event, but we didn't do it to the level that Paulie's does. You know, I, I didn't do like six buckets, eight buckets, 10 buckets of dough at a time or prepping all those things. And then learning how, you know, their process of specific ingredients, things like, uh, their vegan sausage, their pickled pineapple, their chili oils, things like that. Um, so a lot of that was just as much kitchen time as possible. So it was a lot of getting up at 8am and not leaving till about 10pm and just absorbing everything I put. Um, taking notes, going home, studying the menu again, figuring it out.
1: But once you uh, got set up back in Chicago and, and reopened as Pauly G's Logan Square, uh, it's really still a, essentially your restaurant. I mean, you're you're running it; it's your show. How much of it is, is are your ideas up there, and how much are sort of the shared Pauly G's ideas uh, as part of your menu offerings?
2: Sure. So when we opened, we had probably about sixty-five to seventy percent of the menu was Pauly's menu. And so we pulled his greatest hits, used those things, and then introduced a few pies of my own. And then year by year, we've kind of reduced some of Polly's menu. We're taking the things that don't sell as well or don't do as well and made it more own and more to local taste as well as just my staff, um, their creativity and what they bring forth as well. Um, So it's at this point, I'd probably say... Maybe about 30% of the menu is still from the original Paulie's, and the rest of it is kind of new stuff that we've incorporated, including the Detroit-inspired Logan Square pizzas.
1: Right, because Um, you've added a whole different style of pizza than than what it originally was. And so is he back in New York. Everyone is probably borrowing ideas from each other and learning from each other as you go. Uh, How long have you been open now in Chicago? uh, We we just had our four-year
2: anniversary last week, Thursday. It so, goes fast, man. I
1: that. feel like I just met you at like Pete's Expo, and that was like just about four years ago or something. You were just <laughs> up and running. You know? uh, Paulie introduced me to you then, and and he said, "Yeah, this is my guy in Chicago." You know, and, and uh, <laughs> keep your eye on him. Time flies. Time flies sometimes. Amazing. And then all of a sudden, you're into competitions, and and so I want to maybe you can uh, talk us a little bit through the pie you're going to show us, and and how you know how you came up with that and uh, what you
2: have won with it already. Yeah. Competitions are a whole nother beast. They're, they're super interesting. I think there's, you know, there's a lot of pizza maker skill because you're an unknown kitchen and, you you know, unknown variables that you're trying to work around. But also, you know, you don't know who your judges are going to be that day. And depending on your judge's taste, it's very subjective. It's almost, it's almost like when you see a guest, right? A guest will try your pizza and say, oh my God, this is the best thing I've ever ate. And then the next table could be like, this is the worst pizza I've ever had in my life. And you just... There's so much, there's there's definitely an element of luck to it tied to the, you know, high level of skill. My is, first competition- you From
1: a judging standpoint, I've been on that side of it, uh, is that depending on which pizza of the day that you're eating, is it is it your first one or is it your 25th one? Oh, I can only really imagine, yeah. You,
2: yeah, the way you relate to it. That's part of the challenge, right? And that's, yeah. you know, as a judge, I don't envy the judges by any means. Like having to sit and eat through 25, 50 pizzas, even if it's small bites- Cause when it tastes good, you want more bites, but you know, you have another 50 bites coming in the next like, exactly. hour. So it's, it's challenging. I have no doubt. I have oh, no it's doubt. A,
1: it's, it's a challenge, but you know, somebody's got to do it. And, and you're happy that you get to do it. But after the day's over, you go, I'm not sure if I can ever do this again.
2: <laughs> yeah. My first experience with competing was a little bit like that. I was out in Vegas, you know, I prepped three months in advance. I, I went through my processes. I sharpened my knives. I, Really like got my efficiency down so that I had everything the way I wanted to, yeah. and it was a pizza that it was a square, a Detroit style square that featured Chinese cao sliced really thinly, with a uh, with like a what did I put on there again? It was like a five peppercorn sweet sauce that I put across, and I cut the I pickled the peppers, mini peppers, and turned them into like little flowers. Oh, wow. um, it was it was beautiful. What and is chow like? What bottom it, bottom
1: a Chinese style chow show. What was
2: that? The word you chow. So chasu, but it's like that? a. Um, I
1: used pork belly that time, so it's it's
2: like a roasted pork, basically oh. like a barbecue oh. Chinese pork. Okay. And so I sliced it really thin, you know, and the fat was meant to melt into the cheese as it like came out because while it was still hot, and then we torched yeah. it a little bit. I mean, it was a nice show. It was beautiful. The judges hated it. It was, I would like <laughs> bottom two. Um, at that they point, I, was ready so, for it. <laughs> I, you know, maybe, I don't know. I mean, I had a lot of guests that loved it. So I thought this is going to be great. This is super creative. Um, and then when I came home, I was super dejected yeah. for the rest of the trip there after getting the results. I vowed never to compete again, but then six weeks later, there was a competition being held literally 20 minutes from my house at, um, Leo, Leo Spazari school. Oh yeah, yeah. So many people that I had met there during the first competition that were so kind to me were, were competing. So I thought, you know what? Let me go out there. There's a gluten-free category and a I think it was traditional or maybe Neapolitan. I forgot what the other category was. But I thought, well, these guys are here. I need an excuse. Let me let me go there. I'm not going to put too much thought into this. We have a gluten-free dough I've been working on for a while. Let me just put some of my favorite ingredients on that I think would work okay and make it pretty. And then surprisingly, I, I took first place. So just goes to show, you know, you can do all the crap in the world and there's always a luck element that you never know about.
1: Well, listen, before we run out of time on this segment, because we're going to come back in segment two and, and finish the pizza, but can we get, get it started right now and get it into Absolutely. the episode and we'll take a break? Absolutely. Right. Fantastic. Um, and now this is not the one that you originally entered, but this is, this is the new one that you came up with that ended up winning what, the U.S. championship?
2: Yeah, it ended up winning a Midwest regional. And so it was, it was in the gluten-free category specifically. Um, I'm going to come over and just check our oven to make sure that it's hot enough.
1: And you got yep. a pretty good size like, kitchen there. Nice space. What's that? Good. I see you got a nice size kitchen there with like some good space. Thank you. This is our second renovation on our kitchen.
2: We've uh, we've improved it slowly over time because it was necessary. It's just with a kitchen we came in with, it was small, it was tight, it was functional, but as our operations grew and as uh, as COVID hit too, like we had to make some adjustments so that we could make it better. So, it's been expensive, but every every step has definitely made us a little bit better for it.
1: Well, it looks really efficient and nice and clean and shiny. Yeah.
2: So this is our dough that we're working with. All this right. is not a gluten-free dough today. This is one of our regular doughs. It's a 75% hydration dough. Um, we use about 2% salt, 2% sugar, 1% yeast. Uh, during normal times when we're not in COVID and we have more demand, we usually end up using a little bit of sourdough starter as well and let me introduce you to my main dough guy over here this is travis hey Travis is i'm always a firm believer in surrounding myself with people that are better than me on yeah. my team wherever i can travis has so much more knowledge in bread and dough than me that i've ever had in my life so you know i developed the original recipe and the flavor just wasn't what I wanted it to be. I asked him to put put some effort into it, and he ended up developing a sourdough add-in that made it amazing. Um, we're not using sourdough right now in these guys; okay. we're just
1: using the yeast. But you know, the effect has still been pretty good. I'm gonna say one percent yeast. Is that a powdered yeast or a fresh yeast? It's uh, instant yeast. Instant yeast, one
2: yep. percent. instant Okay, one percent instant yeast. And then I use a blend of flours. Um, it's ninety percent high gluten. And then 10% uh, trying to remember what the other, it's not semolina. Durham, that's right. We use 10% durham. And then we use about one
1: or, I think I gotta double check my numbers, one or 2% diastatic malt also to give it a little bit of browning. Nice. So, and I, and I see that you've pre baked it. So, you use, you, your, your method there is to use a, a pre baked dough. Yeah, and I like par baking for a multitude of
2: reasons. Especially in high volume situations, I just realized I blocked you. Especially in high volume situations, when you par bake, you can control exactly the height you want it to be, and it gives it a little more rigidity so that right. you can top it a little bit more. My fear was, you know, when we tested without par baking, we would always have a little bit of like too much deflation because of how much topping we had, and if it wasn't the optimal time during the dinner rush, we would have to lose some doughs because the quality wasn't as good. Right, so, right. at home. If I'm just cooking for myself, I won't do a par bake because I know I'll eat it whenever it comes out. It's fresh. It's perfect the way I want it to be. But yeah. in the restaurant, we par bake hundreds of these for a full service just to get it ready.
1: What is that pan? Is that is that a <coughs> pardon me? Is that a metal pan, a steel pan of some sort? This is this is a so this is a Lloyd pan
2: and it's an aluminum treated pan. It's a PTS nice. kit. So we have about we've tested about four different types of pans here. We use a different pan for our gluten-free so that we can visually tell immediately whether it's a gluten-free dough. And right. so those ones are protected so that there's no risk for our celiac or less risk for our celiac. Yes. Yeah. Because, well, you know, we, we are gluten-friendly. We say it's gluten-friendly, but since we work in a facility that has flour, we I'm not comfortable saying
1: gluten-free. Exactly. And and it's basically it's buyer beware because uh if you're super sensitive, you just gotta be extra careful. Ah. So Uh, you're putting putting cheese around the perimeter, it looks like. Is this so? what kind of cheese is that? Sure. This is a white cheddar. Uh And so we did some multiple tests using brick cheese,
2: mozzarella, white cheddar. And we found, at least in our tests with our guests and my family, we like the white cheddar the best. And so when we went down the route of testing white cheddar, we found that, you know, the the younger the white cheddar is, the better for this particular application. Uh Older white cheddars just tend to leak too much oil and make it too greasy. Um, and you have to use a lot more of it, not to mention older white cheddar, you know, the six, six month or like one year or five year age tend to be much more expensive. The flavor is great on those. The funk is great, but you just don't, you can't get the, the edge that you want.
1: Can you just lift that up again uh, so that we can see it uh, as it's coming together. There you go, right? That, yeah, keep the camera on it. That's awesome. So, so your, so your uh, perimeter of uh, cheese, and then what about the center? Yep. The center, we're going to be using a whole milk mozzarella. That's oh. right. Oh, so we're right now we've got two different cheeses in play.
2: We do. And so some of that mozzarella will always leak over the edge as well. But, you know, it's it's a different taste. Um, we find that, you know, when the guests get to that edge, they get that nice little umami salt bomb from the cheddar, yeah. which is what makes them fall in love with it, right? So
1: you're eating the pizza, and that, that edge in that corner is really what they fight for. Key. So, and do you get with those with the uh, cheddar do you get more of a crowning effect more of a jagged sort of uh design or does kind it- of sometimes it depends on how much dough shrinkage there is so you know
2: the longer we keep it in the fridge the more shrinkage we get on the dough so if it's like a two-day dough we're gonna have to put more cheddar and the wall's a little bit more solid if it's a fresher dough that we made that day then we find that um you know you can have, you can get a little bit more whiskey with it and also you know one of the key differences is is how old is the cheese that we've shredded? So, if it's one to two days old, you're going to get less of that structural support, those wisps. The older it is, and the more dehydrated it is, the longer it's been sitting in the fridge, uh-huh. um, it ends up creating better whisk patterns. And so okay. we don't necessarily strive for that. We don't have that built into our operations. But you know, we we do just try to like do our best, use it up, and see where it goes. And sometimes we get really nice wisps like Apollonia's, and other times we don't.
1: Let's take a let's take a peek now again at the uh, top, uh, so that we see it with okay two kinds of cheese, and now it looks like pepperoni going on. Yep, this is Etzo's crisp and grilled pepperoni. But Etzo's really, uh, really uh, having big impact in the in the uh, pizza community, isn't it? Absolutely.
2: You know the the two types of pepperoni that we ever use is we use Ezzo's and then we use Hormel's Rosa Grande. Um, those are the two that we found from an ex- from just a taste and texture uh,
1: standpoint. Works perfectly for this pizza that we want that crisping and curling effect that we got. Exactly. That's that's good to know. Um, we're seeing again, you know, as as we've talked to so many different pizza makers, and 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 especially as this style is becoming more and more popular, that uh, the the choices that everybody makes about their ingredients is so critical and and so and so thoughtful. I mean, everyone putting so much thought into. You know which which brands and which styles are best. Um, and you mentioned earlier that you you tested out brick cheese, I think, early on, but you decided to go with cheddar and mozzarella. And then, uh, what was your your take on using brick?
2: You know, the, I like the brick cheese plenty, but I felt like the flavor wasn't where we wanted it to be. Um, it may have been the brand that we used. Right. My early tests are we just grab a bunch of different types of cheeses, test it, and see how it goes. So I, I don't know if it was the flavor or that particular brand. Um, but we kept it pretty simple. And overall, in all our tests, you know, white cheddar went out very quickly. Interesting.
1: Um, I'm, you know, know, I'm excited to hear that personally, because I've always been a big fan of cheddar. And I always felt that it was uh, unfairly, you know, we, we take it for granted We take in America. And, and I think it is one of the great world cheeses. But of course, in Italy, they don't recognize it. Uh, so we have to can it it, you know, because it's
2: really why do they not recognize know, it in Italy? That's interesting. Well, they I they do
1: it more as an American or English cheese, not an Italian cheese. So they would go with you know, the mozzarella or Fontina. But uh, I just, I'm just glad to see that cheddar is having its day in the sun. So it's interesting because in, in Italy, so I competed in Italy after I got
2: on the US pizza team, and I, I was told not to put ricotta on my pizza. That ricotta is only for desserts. Uh-huh. And so when I got there and landed, I had to design two whole new. Totally different pizzas to try, which also like I did okay, not as well as I would have liked, but you know it's it's a challenge out there for sure. It's, again, it's different judges, different tasting profiles,
1: trying to figure out how to how to like feed them and how to make them happy is tough. <laughs> well, I see you're starting to put on. What is is that your your signature uh, pro, uh okay, proprietary mm-hmm. bacon confit or bacon uh, uh, marmalade? Yeah, we call it bacon jam. Bacon we jam. take. Uh, at the base
2: level the recipe we take bacon and we cook it down really slow over a certain amount of time take out some of that fat add some onions and then a variety of spices and then we blend it all together until we get this nice textured bacon
1: beautiful wow and i'm sure it's a phenomenal flavor
2: yeah it adds a little sweetness we do have some brown sugar in there um, without going too much further than telling the whole recipe but no, you know, no. Oh my, if anyone ever wants to figure it's it out, be, this is your signature item. No one. <laughs> you got to keep that a secret. Yeah. All every one of my signature items starts with a Google search. You go through Google, you find <laughs> right. every recipe, you test them all, and you decide what works, what doesn't, and start combining and playing.
1: I, I so. can tell you right now, there's like 20 people watching, saying, "I make the same damn thing myself." <laughs> you <know> they <what>? <laughs> all have their own for little tweak. Oh, for sure. Um, and it's I'll just you, you know, what, we're, put your personal spin on it. We're going to take a break here. I think. Is there anything else going on before it goes into the oven? No, this is this is everything okay. before it goes in the oven. Why don't we why don't you go ahead and pop it in the oven? We'll take a little break here. When we come back on the next segment, we'll see what it comes what it looks like coming out and how you finish it off and serve it. <coughs> as we continue with Derek Tung at Pauly G's and Logan Square in Chicago. Derek, this has been great so far. I'm getting pretty hungry. Can't wait to see it pop out of the oven. We'll see you Sounds on the next good. Segment Thank you. Join us on the next round on Pizza Talk. Stick around for more Pizza Quest. After a word from our sponsor,
0: this episode is brought to you by Yolele, a revolutionary African foods company based in Brooklyn, New York. Yolele was founded by Senegalese chef, activist, and cookbook author Pierre Thiam. Yolele creates income opportunities for smallholder farming communities supports their sustainable farming practices, and shares Africa's ingredients and cuisines with the world, starting with Fonio. Fonio is a delicious, nutrient-dense, gluten-free, ancient West African grain. Fonio is also drought-resistant, so it's good for the planet. Yolele is creating a market for Fonio and other African crops grown under resilient farming systems to foster a more biodiverse, drought-tolerant landscape across West Africa. Try Yolele's Fonio, quick cooking Fonio pilafs and new Fonio chips boldly flavored with the ingredients and flavors of West Africa. Sign up for their newsletter for recipes, notes from the field, and culinary discourse, and get a free bag of Fonio with your next order of $32 or more. Learn more at Yolele.com. That's Y O L E L E.com.
1: We're back on Pizza Talk with Derek Tung, and we're at Polly G's Logan Square. Derek uh, showed us how to get the pizza to the oven. In, in the first part, he's about to pull it from the oven. And Derek, uh, just for uh, information purposes, what, uh, what size pan is that, and how much dough went into that pan?
2: Sure, that's an 8 by 10 pan, and we use 300 grams of dough for this. And so our gluten-free use a little bit more. We use 400 grams of dough for the gluten-free, but this one is uh, 300 grams.
1: So it's about 10, approximately 10 ounces of dough for those who think like me in in ounces. So, all right, so the dough, so the pizza's got this gorgeous caramelized cheese. It's the mozzarella in the center, the cheddar around the edges, the uh, uh, Ezzo pepperoni have cupped up really nicely. And then the bacon jam is just uh, like flavor bursts all throughout.
2: It is, it is. Those big flavor, the bacon jam is just like little bites. And so what I'm always looking for, what my staff is looking for is if we look in that corner, you can see that cheese is starting to caramelize and starting to turn slightly dark brown. Yeah. And so you can see some of those wisps. Those wisps typically won't survive the process unless you're super gentle using like a fish turner. Um, but in, in our fast pace, when we're doing them quickly, those won't survive. However, the uh, those corners will survive. And when that comes out, we should be able to see a really nice golden shell around. Them.
1: Well, those wisps usually survive on a little dish that I can tap into throughout the day. <laughs> That's true. That's yeah. true. it delicious for sure. Remember at it, uh, at, uh, you know, at the, at the barbecue places where they where they tell you the burnt edges, you know, and uh, oh god, and now they sell burnt ends, right? I mean, it's why right. would you not sell those burnt ends? Those are the best pieces. That's right. All right, so uh, so do you, before you put anything else on it, do you take it out of the pan or do you t- finish the topping in the pan?
2: So we usually let it sit for about a minute or so before we take it out of the pan. This way, it gives the oils time to redistribute back into the dough appropriately as well as gives the cheese a little bit of time to separate from the walls. Um, So we don't pull it immediately. It allows it to cool a little bit and it makes it easier to work with from the pan perspective, so.
1: Gotcha.
2: But, you know, we're at a point where we can probably start loosening it. Um, This is one of my favorite spatulas, just because you're looking for something really long so you can support pulling it out all the way. If your pan is seasoned right, this thing will come right out after you just kind of loosen up the
1: cheese. So we'll give it a test and see how this one looks today. Wait, I know you par-baked the, the dough first. Thing. So did you have a fair amount of oil in the pan when you baked it? Oh, look at that edge. Look at that frico. Uh,
0: so so that cheddar, that-
1: some of that cheddar that you uh, rimmed it with all kind of melted down the sides. Yep. So and basically so got a grilled cheese That's sandwich. one of the
2: other nice things about par-bake, right? Because you get a little bit of that shrinkage you get a full wall of cheese with this, sometimes a little bit underneath as well. Yeah. Whereas if you're not par baking, if you look at like a buddy's pizza, it's delicious. But it's only about a third to maybe half at most of the cheese leaking down the sides. Got and it. so, you know, some differences in par baking versus not. I think there's there's great
1: ways to do them both. My preference is just the par bake for what we do. That's cool. And that's a great point about the, the cheese can go all the way down that way. Yeah. And you can see, you know,
2: I was lucky this time. The cheese whips kind of survived. Yeah. But you go yeah, in I, on the back end, there's no say, like once, yeah. you, once you go in on that back end, there's no more wisps. So beautiful.
1: Gorgeous. I, I love the color. I got this hot pan out of the way. Dump some oil out. Okay, so oh, wait, wait when you have a, a sec there, could you just hold up so we can see the undercrust also and see the what kind of color you got on the bottom? Okay, absolutely.
2: Uh this will be easier if I flip the camera. One sec.
1: Oh yeah. Oh man, lots of really rich caramel. Dark caramel, and then in the center, a little lighter. Gorgeous, I I, I can almost anticipate what that's gonna sound like when you bite into it. (laughs) So we we oil the pan on the par
2: bake. We do not re-oil it on the second bake because we find that one, our pans already have enough buildup that it's fine. Um, And we also, the cheese itself releases enough oil that it shouldn't be an issue at that point.
1: Gotcha. Favorite weapon, my zombie killer. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm to battle with that knife. So so if somebody orders this pizza, uh, what, what's what's the, the ticket price out the window? And uh, is that how you typically serve it in six slices, six squares? We do. So the ticket slice out the window, this runs uh,
2: $19 for this particular pizza. Uh-huh. Um, and then we serve it in six because, mostly because our wood fired are sold in six as well. And so the idea is that every one of our pizzas is meant to be a personal meal. With well, this one, you got to try a little bit harder.
1: Um, but, you know, any pizza can be a personal pizza if you try hard enough. <laughs> uh, well, I know a few people who could make that a personal pizza You know, you can easily handle that whole thing. Um, uh, do you, you mentioned earlier that you're selling slices, too. Uh, do you ever sell the squares as, as an individual portion of slices? We haven't yet. One of the reason
2: we sell slices is because I like the fact that we can do a fast reheat. So we're using little mini Breville ovens, the Pizza Iolos. Oh yeah. You know, 450 and 650 on top. It's literally a 45 second reheat, and I I think everyone on my staff even prefers the reheated pizza because you get that extra crispy yeah. bottom layer. Yeah. There,
1: right? It is kind of a secret that a lot of people you know have discovered is that the reheat on a slice can can make it even better. Yeah.
2: It's so interesting because everyone out there, oh, you know, still believes like, oh, I want the fresh pizza. I want the one that just came out. Honestly, I prefer the reheat on a New York slice every single time. Um, we're thinking about doing Sicilians maybe in the window at some point, but we haven't done testing on this and what an actual reheat will
1: do. If yeah. we did do it, it would probably be, we probably do larger pans. It would be more efficient. Gotcha. Uh, all right. So we've got our, uh, uh, the pizza's out of the pan. It's been cut, but it's not quite <laughs> ready to serve. There's a couple more touches still to come.
2: Yep, just a little bit more touches to finish it out. And so, like I said, I designed this pizza really kind of on a whim with the idea that I wanted something that was visually and, like, visually appealing as well as, you know, tasting good overall. And so it was really was a lot of just my favorite ingredients. But in the end, when we finished with the topping, you know, I wanted some contrasting colors. Yes. So what we added there was a 7-Eleven tomato sauce from sauce a California tomato. Uh-huh. Um, even though most of our ingredients are wood fried pizzas, a lot of them are imported from Italy. For our, for our Detroits, we try to source within the US if not Midwest as much as possible. Right. So what we got here is just some ricotta. We don't whip it or anything. We take it straight out of the container.
1: Just dollop it on. Small dollops for some nice visual appeal and also a cooling effect. Nice, nice. So you just take it straight. You don't add salt. You don't add any spices or herbs or anything, just straight straight ricotta.
2: Straight ricotta, yep. I mean, in in some of our specialty pizzas, we've definitely done some fun stuff like spinach-infused ricotta, other types of things. Um, And this one, like I said, I I wanted just a a pure look for it. And so straight ricotta. We've tested a lot of different ricottas. At some point, I think we're going to change over to some of the Galvani ricottas. But we're still in the middle of that process before COVID hit, so we're still playing with it. What do you call
1: this pizza on the menu? It's called the U.S. Pizza Cup winner. The <laughs> um, lack of creativity or better name. But Lest there be any doubt, but I'm going <laughs> to <order. laughs>
2: You know, originally, so at, at the restaurant here, we always have three rotating pizzas, two, two, um, two square pizzas. One's always going to be a veggie slash vegan pizza, and one's always going to have a meat pizza. And uh, then we do a rotating wood fire. This was a rotating pizza because after I won, I said, let's introduce it to the crowds. Let's see what people think. After the first month, though, I had so many guests tell me this is the best thing they've tried, and they'll they'll never come back if I take it off the menus and that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I broke my own rule of adding this pizza to the menu on a permanent basis. So it lives now. And yeah, It's it served us well. I mean, it's it's become always it's always a top three seller within our within our monthly sales.
1: So yeah. it's doing pretty well overall. Well, I can see why. Uh, and um, uh, since it's been so successful for you, and you're and you're part of a larger family of sort of the Polly G's family. Are, are, are he, is he in, introducing the same pizza at any of his locations? No, he's not. That's, uh, this you know, purpose
2: one. Pauly, Pauly doesn't know my bacon jam recipe. He's asked for <laughs> it a few times and I haven't quite shared yet,
1: but we may get there. You've got you've got a, one of the more um, generous and flexible partnerships of uh, you know in, in terms of franchising or pizzas. You're not really a franchise, are you? Technically, you're. Are you a-
2: technically technically we're a franchise. Uh-huh. Um, so from a legal standpoint, yeah, we're a franchise. But from an autonomy standpoint, yeah. we have so much autonomy. Each one of us is doing a little bit of our own styles, a little bit of our own ingredients, um, our own spin on things. So you know, there's, there's good right. and bad to all of it. I mean, there's something to be said for opening a McDonald's franchise and having a perfect formula every time, right? Yeah. But also, if you open a franchise, you're you're a McDonald's. There's no doubt that like you have to follow the exact cheeseburger recipe all the way through. Right. Whereas we have the room to play, which gives myself and my employees a chance to be creative and play with things. Which so, is you know, nice. I've, got, yeah. I've got Tony over here, who's going to be leading us on brunch pretty soon as we open up. You know, brunch is something that Paulie's never done, that, that we're pursuing. He's helping out with bread baking. We've been doing shokupan. I've got Yvonne over here, who's been focusing on our vegan shokupans and doing things like green tea matcha rolls inside our, you know, our shokupan okay, Japanese so what, is the, what is a shokupan? So shokupan is like the Japanese equivalent of brioche, but instead of using a standard standard process, what the first thing they do is they gelatinize by using boiling hot water with the flour in a proportion of one to five, right? And what that does is it creates a super soft dough. And a ultimately a bread that lasts longer um, without refrigeration.
1: This is a this is a very similar trick to the to uh, what the people that are making uh, uh, milk milk breads do, where they yes. where they put the yes. gelatinized uh, flour water into the dough and it gives you that soft <laughs> pillow like texture. See, so what did you just squeeze? Some hot honey or regular honey on there? Uh, that's hot honey. All right, my hot going. honey on everything that we can. So we had Mike on, you know, and he told us a little bit about the story. So Mike Mike and Polly's have this great relationship it seems like. And you guys in a sense helped to launch Mike's to the national stage. Absolutely. Mike I think was working for
2: Polly for a long time. Yeah. Um and then he, you know, brought in his condiment because it's something that he grew up with and wanted to enjoy on a more regular basis and it just it caught on like wildfire and he's been growing the company ever since. And I got I got to be honest, it's it's an amazing condiment. Yeah, I use it on ribs. I've used it in fried rice. It's it's so good. And he, uh, I think, just yesterday he released that he did an extra spicy hot honey now available. Oh. For-
1: <laughs> hey, now you um, are you walking with the pizza? Is it in your hands right now? I am. I'm just so, trying to get. We get now light. that we've got everything on it, it's ready to serve. Right. So let can we get it a real close up of it so we can see it with the sh- the, the honey shine and the contrasting of c- colors and flavors. I suppose that's like a chiffonade basil on there. It is. So it's beautiful how you you know you've also um, honored you know the presentation side as well as the flavor and textural side. Uh, well, you know, a- in, I was going to say in today's age I mean Instagram eats first
2: for a lot of places. So That's- if it's not if it's not beautiful you're not you're not going to get social media to move behind it. You're not going to get eyes on it. Um, and I've always been a firm believer that you know you eat first with your eyes. I mean I'll eat anything even if it looks terrible just to try it. But if it doesn't look delicious, you know you've lost half the battle already.
1: Well, I can tell you that at my at my culinary students at Johnson and Wales, the, the first thing that they learn and the thing they never forget is that phrase "you eat first with your eyes." Uh, I when I when I want to kind of remind them, I just say uh, I just say the first word of it, and they complete that sentence. But, and you can see why. Look at how I mean, how could you not want to take a bite of that? It's unbelievable. Could would it be possible for you to hold up one square and give us a little you know, sort of a cross section shot of the of the structure? Absolutely. Oh my god! Yeah. So any oh my, oh, that's perfect. That is unbelievable. No wonder that this won uh, U.S. Championship. Uh, is your plan to take it, or are you going to be competing with this on the? Uh, I, I know the World Championships got postponed in Italy this year, but are you going to take it to Italy? So I went to Italy last
2: year, and I did a um, a three meat pizza that was based on all local meats. And then for the gluten-free division, I ended up doing a uh, a black kale, a local Italian black kale pizza with fried garlic chips along with like a fried black kale crumble on top. Um,
1: both did very mediocrely in Italy. <laughs> so um, yeah, well, I think like I said, those things are out of our control. But uh, what this year's runner-up is next year's grand champion. You just never that's know. That's true. That's true. They're catching up. Uh, no. Also, Italy has been very influenced by what's going on here, I think, from what I can tell. Uh, and they're, they've opened up to the entire American influence. And of course, the American influence is just a global influence that we consolidate here. Look at all the different uh, you know, concepts that you brought into your pieces with the Asian influences, the Italian influences, the, the uh, Wisconsin
2: influences. You know? Oh, absolutely. I, I mean, food has become more globalized than ever, I feel like, especially you can source almost almost everything from anywhere, which is which is crazy to think about. Um, now it just becomes a matter of how do you utilize the ingredient, how do you highlight its freshness, and how do you do justice to it. Yeah. My competition days, I I always toy with it. You know, I always think that my competition days are over, but there's there's always a little itch that wants to go back and compete a little bit more. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of my a lot of my staff, I think, are interested in the idea of competition too. So if anything, I may be sponsoring them or having them compete on on behalf of Polyg's. You know, I've done two competitions in the U S and then, um, the full Italian competition out there. And I, it was a fun time. It was amazing. Um, but for me, I think the the greatest joy isn't winning a competition or doing well there. The greatest joy really is, you know, seeing our regulars, spending time with them, watching the families grow up. And so I, I'm much more focused, well, especially now, much more focused on the restaurant and getting it that we can create an experience or, in the future, more experiences that are just a part of everyone's daily lives, like just approachable good food.
1: Well, I think it's also great that you've got a team of people there that you can uh, now go from being the mentee to being the mentor and, and, and groom them to win competitions. And all those great ideas that they come up with can end up on the menu at the restaurant as well. Oh, it's, I mean... I don't even
2: know, know if it's a mentor mentee relationship. I feel like I, I definitely learn a lot from each of them, allowing them to pursue kind of what they're trying to figure out and how they want to tweak things. I yeah. mean, there's there's a lot of misses, but you know, as long as we learn from every single miss that we have, we we continue to move forward. So you know, I've got a guy that loves jardinera, and he's just making all sorts of different types of innovative jardinera. Yeah, and it's it's great to have people like that on the team, and it's great to give them some freedom to play. Um, and someday, I know some of these guys aren't going to, you know, they're not here permanently. So as much as I can learn from them, I I try to teach back to them too. And they've made my life easier. You know, from from day one, I used to spend 14, 15 hours at the restaurant, you know, five to six days a week. And now I've got a strong enough team that I can opt to come in for like five or six hours. And I know that everything's going to be set. Little mistakes will get taken care of. And, you know, I'm not as essential as I used to be. I can focus on the customer experience more now.
1: I have two questions before we run out of time and we have to leave you. And, And one first question is, uh what's going to happen to that pizza that you just showed us who's going to eat that is that are you going to share that with your team or are you going to sell it or what or can you take a bite and and vicariously let all of our viewers kind of enjoy it with you or with one of your teammates
2: i can definitely take a bite i'll see if the team wants any um you know most of the team here have worked here long enough that they're more excited about other people's pizzas than our own which is absolutely fair because honestly i get more excited about other people's pizza especially when i see innovative creative things going on than our own now too of course. Um, so I'll take a bite of this for sure. Uh, well, what was I, the second question? Did I miss the second question? I wish question?
1: you could pass it through the screen, but obviously we can't, And but we're going to hope that people will will make it. And we're going to try to feature, uh, we're going to be working on a book, a uh, Pizza Quest book and a Pizza Talk book, and we're going to feature pizzas that are shown here on the show. So again, yeah, uh, can you describe, because we're not quite getting the sound, can you describe what that sound is when you bite into that crust? Yeah, so absolutely. The bottom has a
2: little bit of crisp, and a little resistance and it goes into a nice soft center which yeah. ends up being super tender all the way through we use a tomato sauce as room temperature because the pizza warms it up a little bit yeah and you can bet, bite straight in immediately from the oven because you, there's no scalding cheese right the yeah. tomato sauce in yeah. the ricotta protects the top of your mouth sweet um, That's really
1: nice. yeah
2: and then i get like the bacon jam sweetness and then the mike's hot honey kick finally comes in at the very end just to kind of round it out i can't so, get over
1: that the that cheese crisp around the edge that uh, you know, you could almost like shave that off and sell it by the bag and, and have a whole side business of it.
2: You know, Apollonia's is the king of cheese edges. His, yeah. his stuff, Justin, I don't even know how he does it, honestly. Well, we, show, were, we
1: have, we, we, we have a, uh, an interview with Justin and he shows us his method. There's a lot of similarities technique-wise and yet you come up, you each have your own twists and tweaks on it. Um, equally beautiful stuff. Uh, one final question though that I do want to ask you is, in light of everything that we're dealing with, with COVID and, and the pivoting that everyone's doing, where do you see it all going for you? I mean, let's say that things return to some form of normalcy where, where uh, dine-in restaurants can open again. Do you think that you're going to actually go back to that model, or do you have any ideas yet?
2: Uh, I mean, I think the goal is to get back to that model eventually. But I, I do personally think we're probably about six months off of that, right? I mean, yesterday they announced that they finished a human trial for 30 people on a vaccine that showed significant resistance now to COVID. So A friend of mine did that
0: trial,
1: by the way, I just heard, found out today. A friend of mine went really,
2: in that trial, yeah. What a small world. So now yeah. the next trial is a 3,000 person trial. So that shows, if that does well, you know, I'm super excited yeah. that maybe we'll get back faster. Um, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the goal is to get back to full dining service. Um, but with this New York style, people have really loved it. And it's the dough that, uh, have you met Andrew from Paulie's team? He runs the Paulie G. Slice Shop? No, we haven't met Andrew. Okay. He I believe he's the one that developed the dough recipe. He shared it with us. We were using it in COVID times. I can let me flip this around so you can Actually, I'll go outside and you can see what's going on with okay. us. Um, we made we don't we're at a point where my staff aren't comfortable with having people come in. Yeah. So we took it out one of our windows and it slides open and then we put all our display New York pizzas right here. Nice. And so, you know, the key for us now is we've been we've been out of the game for probably about two and a half months when COVID hit. And it only takes, you know, 21 days to develop a habit, right. For your average consumer, which yeah. means that they've, they've forgotten about us in some fashion. And yeah. so we're rebuilding, you know, the last yeah. like four weeks I've been rebuilding, trying to become relevant again and getting people to enjoy slices because we, we don't want people coming into to our restaurant um, and potentially infecting some of our staff. Right. And so, you know, we're doing pickup and deli- we're, we're doing pickup only we're starting delivery probably at the end of this week. Uh-huh. Uh, but the slices have been kind of there to help us try to stay afloat on water while we're using the government PPP loan as well. Uh, yeah. You know, our story is not different than a lot of restaurants, though. Every, every restaurant, every individual in the world right now is having some type of struggle with what's going on. And so just trying to figure out how we, how we survive and maybe even try to thrive in this environment is the challenge. Yeah. Right
1: now. Well, I've, I've been really impressed with the resiliency of the pizza community uh maybe of any sector of the restaurant business of being able to really you know pivot and uh, and the what's the word the, the limberness of it you know to be able to adjust and to stay um, stay alive stay viable and find ways to and, and some people have told us that uh, they may not go back to dine in they're having fun with this new approach and it's financially working out so but whatever it takes, you know, that's yeah. the big thing in the community, the culinary community is whatever it takes to get through today. Uh, and so uh, Derek, thank you so much for spending so much time with us, sharing with us your, you know, uh, championship pizza, which is now, I've got to run into my kitchen now and start working on one, you know, yeah. uh, I'm <laughs> really and uh, congratulations on, on all your success. Thank your team for us for, for also giving you know, the work that they're doing and for, Uh, Helping to bring this episode to all of our viewers keep coming back to pizza talk. We're meeting great people like Derek and and We're going to keep showcasing the, the things that they're doing we're celebrating not only pizza makers but artisans of all types and and uh growers farmers uh, our friends at uh, the various at the napoli tomatoes for instance one of our sponsors at forno bravo ovens are who have helped you know uh, really make this all possible uh and anybody that's in the game we're all in this together and so we thank all of you for being part of this and we thank you derek and we'll see you either in Atlantic City if the uh, Northeast event happens or at Vegas or back on a virtual platform, whatever happens first, I know we'll all be there. And uh, thanks for being part of this large community. I look forward to it, sounds good. Thank you for having me on, it's been a pleasure. All right, man. Well, thank you so much, congratulations, and we'll see you all on the next episode of Pizza Talk. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Pizza Quest is powered by Simplecast. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the Food World's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Thanks for listening.